You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the AME Radio Show. I'm your host, Jason Dowd, and this is going to be a great show. We have two great guests. We have commentary coming up. We have music and so much more. It's a party. Well, it's not really a party. It's a radio show, but it's a party if you want it to be. So let's go over some stuff that we have coming up in the news. This is really interesting. Um, Keisha Knight Pulley, she played Rudy Huxtable. She is actually sticking up for... um, or actually speaking out for Bill Cosby. And uh, she went on the Ryan Report, the RCMS, with Wanda Smith on Friday. And she said this. She goes, I get very frustrated when I see guys call girls hoes or, you know, when people just stick up for Bill Cosby. Um, and that's that was Amber Rose that said that. And then Keisha uh, butted in saying, okay, okay, let me just say this right quick. I feel you. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. But we still live in a country where you're innocent until proven guilty. And I understand everything that's happened. And me being a feminist and a believing woman, no means no. And I get that. But just so that you know, I worked with him for a very long time. And I love him dearly still. And that, is, that isn't the man that I know. So she finally breaks her silence about the rape allegations. We've heard from pretty much everybody on the cast, but this is the one that we really haven't heard from just quite yet. So it's nice to see that she's come out and, and spoke her word of what she what she thinks about this situation. So uh, we also have uh, two great guests coming up here. We're going to have them on the phone in just a little bit. First one is going to be Gary Berman. He is the co-author of a book called From Me to You. And if you and if that sounds familiar, it should because it is also the lyrics to one of the Beatles' famous, uh, famous songs. And it was it's a book about two people that meet from their trans transcontinental uh, pen pals and they have a, a common interest in the Beatles. So this is a little bit of a story about their life and um, and their connection to the Beatles. So that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. We also have Marilyn Anderson, who is a writer and director of a new movie called How to Beat a Bully. And uh, everybody knows, because I've had a lot of stuff on here about bullying and anti-bullying, is that I have been bullied for a long time. And so this is a movie that is shows you how this kid deals with being a bully, uh, beating a bully, in a comedic yet fun family type of way. Um, it's kind of like, uh, I guess it's kind of like one of those... Um, one of those uh, sitcoms throughout the 80s and 90s, you know, the ones that, that kind of teach you morals and values. Same type of thing. And that's probably because of the fact that the two writers that were on this uh, movie also have written for a lot of great shows during the sitcom era where we learned lessons along the way. So this is hopefully going to be a great movie for any family member to come out and see and, of course, be a role model for children that may be going uh, or being bullied. All right, guys, um, I'm going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have our first uh, interview on the phone, so, so stay tuned and don't go anywhere. The AMFM 24-7 Roku channel broadcasts all of our shows on demand. 
To ensure reliability, we store and stream our content on the same servers as Netflix and Amazon. Our Roku channel is free to use, and anyone owning one of the more than 10 million Roku devices can watch our channel at no cost whatsoever. If you have a television show or are thinking about producing a show, you can be a part of AMFM 247's Roku channel. Watch our great shows on your Roku device. It's free and more reliable than cable TV. Are you stuck with a timeshare? Did you attend the presentation and were seduced and enticed into buying that great vacation and investment? Now you're in the terrible position of trying to figure out a way to get out of that mess. You're not alone. For over 15 years, BuyYourTimeshare.com has been helping people like yourself get out of timeshare ownership. The fact is there is no resale market. Unscrupulous telemarketers call you and say they have buyers waiting, and the next thing that happens is you give them hundreds of dollars for an ad, and you'll never hear from them again. Another fact is that an identical timeshare to yours is being offered on eBay for a dollar, and no one is buying it. If you want out of your timeshare, I urge you to go to buyyourtimeshare.com or call them at 877-94-HELP-ME. That number again is 877-94-HELP-ME. Buyyourtimeshare.com. That's buyyourtimeshare.com. 877-94-HELP-ME. 877-94-HELP-ME. A teacher holds the power to make a huge difference in the lives of students. Dee Dee Ripman's new book, Student Teaching, The Inside Scoop from a Master Teacher, will help both new teachers and veteran teachers to be the best teachers they can be, impacting students' lives one day at a time. Available at ddrittman.com or amazon.com. Again, that's ddrittman.com, D-E-D-E-R-I-T-T-M-A-N.com. Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. All right, everybody, I have on the line with me a very special guest. His name is Gary Berman. He is the co-author of a book, From Me to You. It's a book about a transatlantic pen pal during the Beatlemania in 1963, a very fun time for all of us, I know. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing good, thank you. Good. Great to, great to speak with you. So tell me about this book. I'm thinking that there may be a little bit of uh, reality behind it. Maybe uh, either you or, or Kelly uh, had that. Yeah, well, uh, it has a sort of a, a, a strange uh, story behind it, um, we Kelly and I met online uh, at a uh, British comedy website uh, message board, and uh, we quickly discovered that we both enjoy comedy and writing comedy. And uh, she sent me a sample of some of her work, and I was very impressed. So we decided to try something together. And uh, coincidentally, um, since she's in uh, Northern England, uh, I'm aware that the BBC is um, act- actively uh, inviting just about anyone to submit scripts to them. 
So we decided to uh, come up with a script, and we, for me to you, actually began as sort of a pilot script that we submitted. They they declined, <laughs> unfortunately, but we liked the story, so we decided to continue with it and turn it into a novel. So tell us a little bit about the book. Why did you choose 1963 and the Beatles' uh, invasion of the world, basically? I mean, I know they just invaded, uh, the, you, you always hear about them invading the United States, but, I mean, they pretty much invaded the world. I mean, it was a big craze. Yes, yes. Well, we're, uh, we discovered also soon after we introduced ourselves to each other that we're both Beatle fans. And uh, what we were trying to do is think of a story, since Kelly is in England and I'm here in New Jersey, uh, how could we write a story that uh, we, where we wouldn't have to choose where it's going to take place, either one side of the ocean or the other. So we came up with a way of having it so the characters are in both places. And that evolved into the story of uh, pen pals. And then we thought, well, what would the pen pals, why would they be writing to each other? And I'm not even sure I remember how the whole idea evolved, but uh, we chose the Beatlemania era and how the British pen pal, Maggie, uh, of course, has discovered the Beatles first since she lives in Liverpool and went to see them at the cavern all the time. And as she begins her pen pal, her writing to Ricky, she tells him about the Beatles and starts to send him the earliest 45s that weren't available here yet. And uh, the whole thing sort of steamrolled. And as they shared their uh, their interest in the Beatles, they got to know each other better, and uh, the relationship uh, begins to blossom. But the Beatles are a very strong presence throughout the story, since they're both fans. So we have them attending Beatles concerts and uh, the things that fans used to do back then to get close to them and to... Uh, have them become as big a part of their lives as they could. Now, I have a, I have a question. I know this may sound you know stupid or whatever, but I know in in modern days, it's very easy to get a pen pal because you know you got your you got Facebook, you have MySpace, you have uh, all these different types of social media platforms, so it's easy to find people. But back in 1963, we didn't have that. So, how did these two find each other from being all the way across the the, the Atlantic Ocean? Well, a very common thing back then were uh, was for schools to have uh, sort of uh, clubs and, I guess, you might call them sister schools or, or whatever, elsewhere in the world. And so a lot of that occurred through uh, school activities, whether they were part of the classes themselves or maybe after-school clubs. So it just so happens that they began to write to each other through this uh, club, and uh, that's how they first contacted each other. And in fact, I myself uh, had several pen pals back before I met my current wife. <laughs> and uh, it was just uh, through an ad in a, in a, a British uh, magazine, I believe, just sort of transatlantic pen friends. And uh, I've always been an Anglophile, so I thought it would be interesting to be able to write to someone on a regular basis and learn more about what it's just like to live in England, uh, in sort of an average day-to-day -day life. It's the little things that interest me as much as anything else. So uh, a lot of what I've experienced myself, I put into part of the story. 
I've always had a fascination with England too. I, it just it, it's got so much history to it. It's got a violent history, yet it's got a very uh, compassionate history as well, uh, which is kind of hard to commingle, but it does. And I just I like the culture, you know, like going over. I like the tea. I like how everything's so. Um, it's it, it's it's really kind of like an up. Uh, fulfilling type of type of feel. I, it's hard to explain. I really can't. I really can't explain how it is. But for me, when I think of England, I relax. You relax. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds weird, but I just do. I just relax. Well, I've been fortunate enough to be there. I've been there several times, and um, whether it's London or, or other cities, I've always felt very home there. Uh, just walking down an average street and uh, experiencing things i always felt um uh, like i could i could i could be there on a long-term basis <laughs> but uh so i've always um enjoyed being there and uh i think it's it's similar to to what we know because of the language of course is the same and yet it's just different enough in little ways to make it even more interesting than what we might think of here in, in the U.S. Uh, so I've, well, I haven't been there in a long time, but uh, I'm, I'm always happy to think about going back. I love the accent. I think that's one of my favorite parts of the entire country is just that accent. The accent is just so cool, and it just it catches it catches me every time I hear it. It doesn't matter where I am. If I hear a British accent, I pick it out like it's... Um, you know, right there in front of my face, like they're talking to me, even though they're really not. And I just, I think that's really what makes me uh, just have that. It, it, I think that's where that calming effect is, because when I hear the English accent, I actually calm down, no matter what I am. I just, it just, it's just there. It's fun. I love it. It's probably one of my favorite parts of England. Well, I've been watching so many British, uh, especially sitcoms, uh, throughout my life that. I'm fairly used to it by now. I think I don't even notice it as much because uh, I've I've just watched thousands and thousands of hours of it, and uh, it's a little different when you hear someone in person standing right next to me speaking to me with an English accent. But on TV, uh, it's something that seems very very natural to me by now. Mm-hmm. So, but um, and Kelly and I met once in person. She visited New York uh, a couple of uh, winters ago. Uh, it was Thanksgiving weekend, um, 2014. So after all of the writing we've been doing together, strictly via email, uh, we finally got a chance to get together in Times Square and uh, spent some time just chatting, and uh, that was a lot of fun. We weren't sure if we'd ever be able to do that, so mm-hmm. it was nice to be able to do that. In fact, there's a picture of us on the back cover of the book in Times Square. Uh, so, just as proof that we actually have seen each other face to face. Well, you know, it's more remarkable that you were able to write a book together being so far apart. I mean, that's got to be a difficult task. Tell us about how you man- managed to write this book together. Well, uh, I guess it came fairly naturally. Uh, she, I, um, when she first told me that she likes writing she likes writing science fiction stories, but she also likes writing comedy. So I asked her, well, you know, is there anything that I can see of yours? And she sent me about uh, 10 or 15 pages of some dialogue that she wrote, and I, I thought it was great. I thought it was very funny and clever, and I said, uh, would you please let me write this with you? Can we take it a little further? It's, it wasn't from me to you. It was it was something else. So um, uh, Barker's Upon Time, it's called. We kind of created our own sitcom, and we wrote 
six epi- six full-length episodes, but we knew that uh, the chances of actually getting it produced were slim and none. That's just the way the business works. So we decided to actually publish the scripts ourselves, and it's available in book form. So it's sort of our little sitcom creation that anybody can read, and there are no commercials. And <laughs> so uh, anyway, so what we did, we would just write... Um, uh, whatever bit of, of the story or whatever we were working on at a given time and attach it to an email and I would read what she wrote and make suggestions or do some editing and I'd write whatever I was doing and send it to her and we just kept going back and forth on an almost daily basis and little by little it would build up into whatever our goal was whether it was a, a script or a screenplay or uh, for me to you. And uh, so, yeah, we we sort of converted our original idea as a script into uh, into the novel, and just kept expanding on it, and kept going and going until we we figured out how we wanted it all to work out. And it was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, one of the one of the questions that I po- that I have that that's um, I always like to ask this, and it sounds like this book could possibly be uh, a potential for that. Did you guys, without giving out the ending, leave it enough that may, there could be a possible uh, sequel or uh, maybe even a trilogy to this particular uh, novel? <laughs> well, it, yes, we left it, so that is possible. I don't think we're, we probably used up a lot of energy just on that on, on that particular story, so I don't know if we'll ever continue it, but... Uh, yeah, it, I guess it does have hopefully a suitable ending and a satisfying ending where if we wanted to pick up the story, uh, we could. But we always had the ending sort of in mind from the beginning, where what point in time we wanted it to end. And uh, so that's how we did it. And But of course, since it it, it spans pretty much the whole Beatlemania era uh, up, up to the end and... Uh, I don't want to give too much away about what the last few chapters are like, but, um, I mean, everyone knows what the last few chapters of the Beatles themselves, what happened then. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as how we worked that into the story, we're we're pretty satisfied that we were able to accomplish what we set out to do. Do you guys have any... And, um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were oh, finished. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, well, I just wanted to add that, you know, we, we had a good time creating the characters, and we hope that the characters themselves, the fictional characters, are entertaining and interesting and uh, fun to follow. More than anything, we wanted to make it a, a funny story, an amusing story, and uh, a little bit of romance and a little bit of coming-of-age uh, issues, and uh, plus pretty much a constant presence of the Beatles, sometimes in the background, but sometimes... Uh, at one point, we have the characters gathering around in 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 a living room to watch them on the Ed Sullivan Show their first time. Mm-hmm. So we kind of intermingle what actually happened in the Beatles' history with the fictional characters. Interesting. Um, do you guys have anything else coming up in the works? Uh, maybe a, a new novel or a new type of uh, uh, script or anything that you're working on? Well, uh Kelly's sort of taking a little break, I think, and uh, I'm always, we're both always trying to think of ideas, and uh, but we also feel free to write things on our own as well as together. So that was something that, 
I didn't want her to, when we started, right, we wrote several scripts and several things that uh, were, were true 50-50 collaborations. But I've always been careful to say, listen, if you come up with an idea for something that you just would rather do on your own, that's fine with me. And the uh, same goes for me. I just finished uh, writing a screenplay on my own that uh, I offered Kelly, would you, would, would you like to work with this on me? And she didn't feel as if there was much she could really contribute to the particular story that I came up with. So I said, okay, I'll write it on my own, and I submitted it to uh, a major national contest just to see what the feedback might be. And uh, I enjoy doing it anyway, so I'm not sure what be in the future for us. Well, it sounds like you, never guys, know. you guys. It sounds like you guys have a pretty good working relationship. So you know, it's it's nice that there's an ability for that to possibly happen, and you never know what could possibly come up. Like you said, yeah. Well, we also have this very similar sensibilities when it comes to writing and what we think is funny, and uh, so that that was very helpful right off the start. Um, when I read what she wrote, I thought, well, yeah, this is something that that if if our styles, I don't mean to sound pretentious, you know, but if our individual styles were very different, then it wouldn't have worked. But since we both, more often than not, agreed on what was good and what was funny and what wasn't, and she's also a very good editor, sometimes I get a little carried away (laughs) working on a scene that I think is so wonderful, and I just keep going and going, and she'll read it and tell me, well, this doesn't need to be that long, (laughs) or you can cut it off right around here, or you've you've already written that part earlier, and uh, so that's that's very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And I think we had one one or two Skype chats. Uh, and uh, but other than that, it was really all strictly by email, which probably doesn't happen too often these days. Even as much as email and everything else online is so common, but actually writing something together like that, I haven't come across hearing about anyone else doing it. Right. Well, we got about a minute and a half left, so I want you to be able to tell everybody how they can find your book and how they can find out about more about you if they have any questions or they have a project that you might be interested in. Well, the book, once again, is called From Me to You, obviously named after one of their songs, and we'll try to make a little connection to the, the basic storyline of the pen pals. And um, it's available on Amazon.com, and uh, I have a, a website GaryBerman.com. That's two R's in Gary. GaryBerman.com uh, needs a little updating because I've I've had a few things published since then that uh, I still have to add to it. But uh, yeah, Amazon.com is the place to go uh, for finding uh, from me to you. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having some time with us and sharing your book and and all your experiences. This is a lot of fun. Well, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. And we wish you all the best in the near future, and hopefully you'll come out with something else, and we'll have you back on. Oh, that would be great. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break. When we come back, you're going to be hearing a little bit more music, commentary, or interviews, so stay tuned. The AMFM 24-7 Roku channel broadcasts all of our shows on demand. To ensure reliability, we store and stream our content on the same servers as Netflix and Amazon. Our Roku channel is free to use, and anyone owning one of the more than 10 million Roku devices can watch our channel at no cost whatsoever. If you have a television show or are thinking about producing a show, you can be a part of AMFM 24-7's Roku channel. 
watch our great shows on your Roku device. It's free and more reliable than cable TV. Are you stuck with a timeshare? Did you attend the presentation and were seduced and enticed into buying that great vacation and investment? Now you're in the terrible position of trying to figure out a way to get out of that mess. You're not alone. For over 15 years, BuyYourTimeShare.com has been helping people like yourself get out of timeshare ownership. The fact is there is no resale market. Unscrupulous telemarketers call you and say they have buyers waiting, and the next thing that happens is you give them hundreds of dollars for an ad, and you'll never hear from them again. Another fact is that an identical timeshare to yours is being offered on eBay for a dollar, and no one is buying it. If you want out of your timeshare, I urge you to go to buyyourtimeshare.com or call them at 877-94-HELP-ME. That number again is 877-94-HELP-ME. Buyyourtimeshare.com. That's buyyourtimeshare.com. 877-94-HELP-ME. 877-94-HELP-ME. A teacher holds the power to make a huge difference in the lives of students. Dee Dee Ripman's new book, Student Teaching, The Inside Scoop from a Master Teacher, will help both new teachers and veteran teachers to be the best teachers they can be, impacting students' lives one day at a time. Available at ddrittman.com or amazon.com. Again, that's ddrittman.com, D-E-D-E-R-I-T-T-M-A-N.com. Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. Hi, I'm Andy Allo, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. All right, everybody, I have on the line with me two very special guests. They are the writers of How to Beat a Bully. It's a brand-new movie coming out here in just a little bit. Their name is Marilyn Anderson and Richard Rosner. How are you guys doing today? Doing great in Southern California. How can anything be bad here? Whereabouts in Southern California? Day, beautiful day and warm out. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you guys, in Los Angeles, or are you in San Diego? Los Angeles, yes. Okay. Yeah, I love that area. I, I actually, my grandfather uh, was uh, born and raised in San Diego, and I got to go visit him a while back, and it was an amazing experience out there. Oh, yeah. We love it here. <laughs> We're both from the East Coast originally, though. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, going out there is probably the best place to do what, what you guys are doing, so you definitely made the right move. That's for sure. <laughs> Seems like it. <clears throat> So let's talk about this movie. Um, you know, this this movie kind of hits home to me because for practically all my life I was bullied, especially in school. So it's neat to see a movie that has an anti-bullying theme into it, but yet you've put a comedy uh, spin on it. What made you decide to write a movie like that? Well, we had seen, um, actually we wrote the script a while back, and it was after Home Alone had come out and had become such a success. So we wanted to create a fun family film, but we also thought it'd be great to, you know, have it promote the idea that it's more fun being friends than bullies. Mm -hmm. 
And it's interesting, you know, when we started talking about different things that happened to us and how we were bullied, it turns out, well, we had stories. And the more we talk about the film with other people, it seems as though everybody has a story about being bullied. And it really seems to be a very universal theme and something that needs to be that needs to be dealt with uh, in an important way. And uh, there are a lot of films out that are that are kind of depressing or that are preachy or that are dramatic and hard. We feel, I mean, Marilyn and I are both comedy writers, and we feel that there is a, a, a better path with comedy. It gets people listening in a different way. Mm-hmm. It does because you know with all the with all the the drama and the suspense and stuff like that, it definitely catches your your attention. But yet, it also puts up a wall and it puts up that that um, it's kind of like a stress type of factor because you, you're you're it's it's very vivid, it's very uh, in your face. That's why I like comedies myself. I like it a little bit more lighter and it kind of gets you out of the everyday type of um, uh, you know grind and and and. Uh, and hitting the road and having to do things the hard way. So, you know, I really did, I, I actually like that you did that because I think it's going to affect people in, in, a, in a different way and it won't turn them off to it like you're, like you said, like you're preaching to them. Sure. Well, and when people are laughing and having fun, it gets them to appreciate each other. And, you know, if you're laughing with somebody, you're not going to be mean to them. You're just going to be enjoying the time. And uh, as Richard said, we're both comedy writers. So that's, that's where we really like to start is is to give entertainment and fun and laughs and smiles to to kids and parents and, and because there's an issue here, it makes it an easier doorway for parents and kids to start talking mm-hmm. after seeing the movie. We've thought that that was an important thing that that uh, because it takes a lighter approach, it's a lot gentler way of getting into the conversation, which may not be so easy for people to have. Of course, Richard and I have come also, we both wrote on TV shows. Um, I wrote on Murphy Brown and on Fame, and I also wrote on a show called Carol and Company, which starred Carol Burnett, everybody mm-hmm. knows how funny she is, and also Richard Kind and Jeremy Piven. So, uh, you know, we come from that comedy world, and Richard, why don't you tell them the shows you wrote on? Sure. I, I worked on, the, the biggest show that I worked on was Full House. Okay. So that's one that people seem to still remember, which is great. Uh, but there was Full House. I also worked on She's the Sheriff, Comedy Break, and uh, uh, using humor to find ways into serious ideas is has always been what I've been about. Mm-hmm. Well, Full House obviously was one of those shows that it always had a theme to it and always had good morals at the end. You learned something, but you had fun watching that you know transpire across the across the show. Um, sure, and I think we're missing that in just about everything today. And I like the I like the idea of it of it starting to come back. I think we've been missing it for way too long. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, we can be a part of that movement. <laughs> right, because we and and basically, we want people to have fun when they watch the movie. That's what it's about. It's uh, it's it's for people to get surprised and have laughs, and also see these. We cast some really terrific. Uh, young actors, and we actually have um, actors in the film who are from age 8 to age 80. Mm-hmm. So it's truly a multi-generational film. So are you guys more advocates about uh, getting the parents involved? I mean, because I, I know when I talked to my parents and they went to the school, it seemed to make things worse for me. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know if it was because that they, you know, the bully got in trouble and and the tr- the the punishment only lasts for so long, but they never forget. Um, mm-hmm. You know what is what was what would be your ideal situation to see happen? I think the parents nowadays are probably a good proponent to you know at least know what's going on in their children's life, so maybe they can help them you know overcome it in some way, shape, or form. But is it always worth getting the parent involved in the school to where it causes more problems? Well, you know, as, as we said, we're really comedy writers, <laughs> so we're not psychologists or counselors or that kind of thing. So I would leave that question up to, it depends on the family, I think, and it depends on what the bullying was involved. So I, I, don't, I can't really get involved in that. I can just say that certainly there's much more information out there today about the issue and about how to handle it. And, I mean, I've read a lot of articles about it, and it's handled in different ways at different schools. I I think an important thing, though, is for uh, a child to always feel that uh, they have a safe place with their parents to be able to talk about anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, Yeah, And, 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 and at least if there is that place at home, where they can uh, can have an open dialogue about it, then perhaps you can find you know, uh, you know solutions and situations and on, on how to navigate through those difficult waters. I mean, I listen to some of the news stories of what's going on in school now, and uh, administrations that are doing some pretty wacky things, and it's 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 a very tough call. I got to tell you, <laughs> it's a tough call as to as to exactly what to do. But each situation is different, so you have to take it one situation at a time. Yep, I agree with that. So, tell me about some of your experiences with the. Uh, did you were you guys on set? Were you able to like have you know put some input into it? Did you help direct the movie? Um, what kind well, of involvement did you have, and what was some of the experiences like with the actors? Well, actually, I I had major involvement because. Um, what happened was, uh, this was a screenplay of ours that was optioned eight different times by Hollywood producers and never made, and finally I said no more options, and I actually went out and raised the money for the film, so I was one of the executive producers. That's why I like to keep her around. Go ahead, keep going now. This is good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I will say that the, so we had a lot of input as far as, like, casting. We were all in the room, and, uh, it must have been overwhelming when the actors came in to audition because we had um, uh, four of the executive producers, two of the producers, uh, me and Richard. So that's a lot of people to face in a casting room. Mm-hmm. But the amazing thing was you know, most of us agreed when, when, when an actor comes in an audition, you get a good sense of whether they're, they're right for the role or if they're totally wrong for the role. And on most of them, we were very much in sync. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I have to say, one of, the, one of the most profound moments I had, at least in the casting of the movie, was um, after you listen to an actor reading a, a role by him or herself, then you put together different uh, teams to see how's their energy, how do they blend, do they look right against one another. And listening to dialogue and conversations that Marilyn and I had written all those years ago, come to life. It was it was just amazing to see that happen. It was really a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then the cast that we wound up using did just a, just a superb job. Mm-hmm. 
how important was it for the main role to have you know some type of experience or maybe uh, a lot of uh, visual knowledge of being bullied or seeing bullying or anything like that? Did that really was that a, a, a factor in making this role more believable? A lot of kids came in for the lead role. We saw a lot of um, kids, and when Grant McClellan came in, he's a he's a, a little redheaded boy. Mm-hmm. He just wowed us immediately. He he had done, actually, his experience, you know, he had done some things as an actor, but he was just adorable, and he was a small little boy and a red-headed little boy, so immediately, you know, he's a little different than the other kids, and we just, as soon as we saw him and, and heard him audition, he was really, really good. So we, we really... Um, put him at the top of our list and mm-hmm. after callbacks and everything he was he was still wowing us so kind of tell me a little bit about um what you would like for people to get when they see the movie what what do you want them to be saying or thinking when they leave the movie after it's all done well my main my main thing is i want them to say gee that was fun i love that i want to see that again <laughs> and I want to share it with my friends. I want to. I want to, you know, get the DVD and watch it with my friends and my parents at home. <laughs> and I can't wait for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I like that. But it's. It, but also, it, you know, to be able to have people come out and say, uh, you know, this was a really nice, wholesome film, and there was something um, of, of of import there, something of importance, and to be able to say, you know what. This is an issue, and we can talk about it. And uh, there are many dimensions to the issue as well. Uh, it's not just about, uh, uh, you know, if, if standing up to a bully with fists. There are various problems that come out in the film, including the lie that, that uh, uh, our main character tells, which gets his father into trouble. So words can be can be very difficult, too. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, certainly uh, online with cyberbullying and all of that, there are a lot of ways that people um, uh, can hurt each other. And we just want to find have people find better ways to be better to each other. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's funny. You know, the, we, we tried, even within this film, even though it's definitely a comedy and we have a lot of twists and turns in it that... That you know, go in different directions. Um, we still really wanted to impart family values to it, and so it's really about a lot of things. It's about having to move to a new town and having to you know meet new people and set up a new house, and then of course be bullied. And it's about father son relationships and making new friends. So there's a lot of family values in it, even though overall it's it's definitely a comedy. But we we heard from a police officer who runs a a bullying pro anti bullying program, and he said he thought that this would be a great uh, movie to like open up his his program with because it gets people you know light and laughing, and then they can talk about something serious afterwards, but they can just enjoy it and have some fun, and it sort of lightens the mood and makes it easier for everybody to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And we did get, um, the film does have a, uh, the Dove Foundation gave us a family-friendly recommendation. Um, it's uh, for ages 12 and up, although we've had a lot of kids who were younger who loved it, and and a lot of people who are, you know, adults 
love it too because it does have because Richard and I are so clever in our life. <laughs> well, the truth is, if we don't like what we're writing, why write it? Right. And uh, I don't know how many films I, I, you know, had to go see with my son when he was growing up. And it was so, boy, I'm just putting in my time here. Uh-huh, when is this going to be over? And for us to have been able to write something that, uh, you know, parents can sit and laugh along with their kids. It's clever enough. It's smart enough that they will enjoy it as well. And then it's like, oh, wow, that was a surprise. That's great. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold. But that's, it's, it, it's nice that parents will be able to enjoy it with their kids and not you know, be doing uh, whatever work they want to do on their, on their cell phone or iPad when they're, uh, uh, while they're watching. You know, they'll, they they'll really pay attention. They can also watch it on their cell phone. That's right, they could, because it's all digital. Although... We now have our DVD uh, is coming out, and will be happening in uh, Walmart. Uh, they will be uh, selling the DVDs in Walmart as well after April 5th. That's our uh, release date on uh, Walmart, which is great. Yeah. And otherwise, it's also on Amazon Video or iTunes or Google Play. But okay, maybe they'll watch it there and then go get the, the DVD. The DVD, because you want to watch it over and over. Well, I mean, that's the thing about it, too. I mean, you got all those digital outlets, which are great, but sometimes it just does not take place of a DVD where you can sit down and you can definitely watch it on your television as opposed to having to, you know, gather around a uh, computer or something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, there's something about the whole video uh, digital revolution, which is cool, but there's something about just taking it, putting it in, and sitting down and around the television and watching, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we got about a minute left, so I want to be able to ask you guys what kind of uh, what kind of projects you have coming up now that this is out, and uh, what uh, what can we look forward to? Well, we actually just wrote a romantic comedy uh, that's called Cold Feet: A Wedding Tale, and hopefully that's going to start shooting soon. And we're also writing the book version of How to Beat a Bully, mm-hmm. so we'll not only have the movie for How to Beat a Bully. But there'll be a novel coming out, um, which is even more detailed and ha- has a lot of additional uh, things happening in it because books and novels often are more detailed than than the film. But uh, they should go see the film first and then read the novel. How to beat a bully? There you go. <laughs> and we're and yeah, so we're. We have a website at howtobeatabullythemovie.com. All right. Well, we are out of time, so I really thank you guys for coming on and, and sharing this story. And I hope that people will go out and see this movie because I think it's going to be very important, not only to have fun, but also to learn. And, and maybe if they are being bullied, maybe it just opens up their, their eyes to you know seeing, a different, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Terrific. Thanks so much, Jason. Much appreciated. All right, guys. We're going to go to commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to be hearing more commentary, interviews, and music. So stay tuned. Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. 
Hi, I'm internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd, and I released one of my most profound photographic collections to date, my 3D collection. Since 2009, I've looked for ways to bring my art to life in ways that would amaze my audience. After a rare malfunction at Disney, I realized that 3D was the way to go. Now the series can be seen in galleries all the way across the United States. If you want to see this collection, contact my studio, Imagination Art Studios, by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com and ask how. While you're there, check out my award-winning Dreams, Nightmares, Fears, and Fantasy collection, as well as my Morbid Sensations collection. Again, that's www.imaginationartstudios.com. This is Vic DiBetetto. You are listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our great guests that we had on, because I know they enjoyed talking to you. So we got about 15 minutes left, and that gives me enough time to bring up some other things that I want to discuss and get some music on before we go. First, I want to invite everybody to our website, www.theamemagazine.com. You can go on there and check out our radio show, our television show, and our magazines, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and it's free. We want it there for you to enjoy, learn, and grow from, and be inspired, of course. That's one of the main things that we are all about. And if you want to find out where our television show is aired or where our, our radio show airs, that's the place to do it. Now, I have a really exciting announcement to, to bring to you guys. Uh, last week, we have been approved on the iHeart Network, the iHeart Radio platform, which thanks to the AMFM 247 Broadcasting Network, we are on. And what this does is if you have the iHeart app, all you have to do is go out there and search for the AME, uh, the AME Radio Show, or you can go on to the actual website and search in the AME Radio Show, and you'll be able to add us to any channel that you want. You'll be able to hear us on demand 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the la world's largest broadcasting platform. Very excited about that. Okay, so I want to get into the next topic. I don't usually like to get political on the show, and I'm not going to get political. What I am going to do is talk about the freedom of speech and the PC movement in this country and what it's doing to us, and it's going to impact artists greatly. Now, what ended up happening was at the Emory University, a couple of kids decided to write on the sidewalk Donald Trump's name. That's all they wrote, and it sent off these whiny little... Kids, I can't even call them adults because you can't have these whiny meltdowns and protesting over somebody writing Donald Trump in a in a free speech nation. Uh, it sent them to their safe rooms. They were they were showering. They were hugging each other. They were it just it completely put them into a meltdown. And I don't know what is going on with this country. It's like okay, you can have an opinion, but unless it it conforms to the new movement that we have in this country, then it's wrong, and you are a piece of crap. Um, you can easily offend people. You know what? Grow up. See, that's what's great about this nation, is that you have the right to have whatever opinion it may be, whether it be racist, bigoted, whether it be um, uh, conformist, or whether it be um, Marxist, or whether it be uh, libertarian, or whatever, whatever it is that you believe in, that's okay. That's what makes us. That's what makes us unique. I don't want to know a person that completely agrees with me a hundred percent all the time, because if that's the case, and what we're going to do has is have a bunch of mindless drones walking around, and there would be no individualness. We will lose our individuality. We are afraid to speak in this country because of people like the the kids at Emory University that are blowing up because they got offended. Well, I'll tell you what what's being offended. I hear radio shows every single solitary day that attack 
anybody that's Christian, because they're bigoted, they're racist, they're everything. Um, if you're white, you're you're a uh, you are a uh, racist, you are a uh, supremist, elitist, and everything else. You know what? Get over it. Nobody has ever been able to walk in my shoes to figure out what I've come with or know who I am unless you talk to me. Yes, there are some bad things out there, and I don't agree with everybody's opinion. Believe me, I don't. But I respect their opinion, and I will gladly fight for their right to disagree with me. Now, how does this affect art? Why is this politicalness affecting art, and how can it affect art? Well, it can because when we get to a point where Christianity is so outlawed that if you feel that a picture of Jesus is what you want to portray and it's what's in your heart and you put it on that wall and it gets taken down or you get arrested for this type of stuff, where is your freedom of speech? That is what art is all about. It gives you a voice. And unless you have that voice that can be spread out there for people to see, then unfortunately you are silenced, and that will affect our First Amendment right. We may not ever lose the First Amendment right, but we are going to be silenced and have limitations on that because certain people get offended easily, and they get butt hurt. I like to call it. You know what? I just want to say people grow up. Please, grow up. I hear a lot of things every single solitary day that I don't like. But I don't sit there and go crying to my mommy. I don't go crying into a room and sit there and shake and rock myself back and forth because I heard something that, that offended me. This is what is going to do. You're trying to, you're trying to make a movement for the better, but you're making it for the worse. You're not understanding the consequences of these, these policies that we're enforcing. And, you know... If you don't like if you don't like Christianity, if you don't bl- believe in Muslim or Buddhism or you don't like somebody's political stance or whatever, that's fine. Their work is there for you to see and give you a diversity. That is what we're forgetting with our that our voice gives us is a diversity. And it's there for you to either accept or deny. You don't have to accept everything. If you see a picture of Christ, you're not going to be instantaneously converted to Christianity and brainwashed into what you think is is, uh, the, the life that you don't want to be. I have studied just about every religion all the way across the board. And by learning the religions, I was never converted to them, but it opened my eyes to the people around me, and I see how amazing that they are. And it helps me understand them a little bit better to better relate. There are I have seen things like nudes and, and clothed pictures. That doesn't make me a pedophile. That doesn't make me a porn obsessor. It just makes me understand and appreciate the human body better. But a lot of people get out there and they say they see these women out there or these men out there naked on these pictures and they freak out and they run to their mommies. And um, this is this is a problem that we're that we we got to deal with. We got to we got to get some thick skin out there and realize that if you see something it's that somebody else believes in, that's beautiful, whether it be what you agree with or don't agree with. Now, if you see pictures of people getting, you know, lynched because of their they're black, or you see um, you know, blatant hatred into into photos or, or pictures or something like that, that's a little different. That I can see needs to be pulled pulled down or at least censored a little bit. Um, or put into a place where like minded people agree with stuff like that. 
But I hope that there aren't really anything like that out there. But I've never even run into those type of pitchers. But they, I'm sure that they exist. So what I'm saying is, is that we need to sit there and ha- and and understand diversity and understand people's choices and recognize that as something beautiful. And if you can't do that, you are the problem, not the people that are going around expressing themselves. All right, guys, we got about seven minutes left, so I'm going to put on some music for you to close out the show. I hope you guys had a great day with us. I hope you have a great weekend coming up and another great week, and we will see you right back here, same time, same channel, same great with more great guests. Me, I'm still the same host. I'll be here hoping to entertain you guys. So till next week, enjoy yourselves, stay creative, and keep those creative juices flowing. Good night, everybody. Like a moth to a flame burned by the fire My love is blind, can't you see my desire? That's the way love goes
Calm down. Okay? That's it.